Hey everyone, welcome to the Nightlife Project Podcast. I'm your host Camino, and I'm here with Kai William and our guest Pete Downs. Uh, we're really excited for this uh, for this episode. Pete does promotion uh, with a company called Jukebox um, that does really big artists in the industry, and they do a very good job. Excellent um, job. But yeah, so before we get to that, let's just give you a little briefer on how we're all doing. Kai, how are you feeling right now, mate? Um, I'm good. I had a, quite the day yesterday. I, um, we were able to do a Danny Tanaglia yesterday at this place called Barco. We've been doing a couple events there. Uh, it was really, really successful yesterday. I was really happy with it. So I'm just a little cloudy today. <laughs> that's the Do Not Sleep one. Yeah. Yeah, different. we did, we did yeah. it with, we branded it with Do Not Sleep. Yeah. So last weekend we did Dennis Frere and Lee Foss. And this weekend we did uh, Danny Tanaglia and uh, yeah. uh, for anyone yeah. who doesn't know Danny, he's just like an absolute New York legend and been doing it forever. So it was his first gig since February. So he was really happy to play. So, and a lot of people came out to support because, you know, Danny's been pretty inspirational in a lot of people's lives, especially in the New York area. So it was my first and second time seeing him, but every time his mixing style is very unique. So it was good. Pete, how are you? Yeah, really good. Really good. Feeling quite fresh for a Sunday, but um, I suppose that's what it's like when obviously we've just. In the UK, uh, we've just obviously gone back into the second lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, uh, I think for four weeks, like at the moment, minimum. But I mean, obviously, the last one was supposed to be three weeks. So, so everyone's feeling a little bit, a bit like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, so that means that Sundays I feel a lot fresher than I probably would if, <laughs> if it wasn't lockdown, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm, uh, I was on holiday uh, in Greece until two days ago, actually. Um, I, I escaped London with my family. Uh, to go and chill out in Greece for a bit and then they decided to close the borders there uh, and lock down over there too so we had to leave and now I'm back in Berlin and they went back to London um, which sucks but <laughs> what can you do uh, at least I got like I got three days of holiday <laughs> I got three days <laughs> that's probably that's good compared to most people at the moment I know I know, I know. we got lucky I think we got lucky it's just a weird one because I've seen from afar like um like you know like yeah they, they've had like some mad restriction there was actually something that jukebox did we had a festival uh I think it was in Zante uh hmm. so my boss went over there in in April I'm sorry in August and um and when they got there they, they actually closed all the restrictions changed in the week before the festival so the owner of the festival he actually uh he actually changed the festival to his wedding so that he could still have a party so yeah it's mad like my boss was there and but he took um he took like like amazing media like bbc and like obviously they were focusing on it being like the first festival after covid kind of thing um so all these media were coming and then they found out a week before that the festival couldn't happen um and then he turned it into a wedding so because it was such a weird story they still went and they were covering it so you had like this festival was on bbc obviously it was a bit of a mad show at the end but it was just like crazy this story that the guy actually had a had it as a wedding <laughs> and there was a hundred guests that sounds like <laughs> the most fun wedding that ever happened <laughs> yeah it just like shows you the extent of people are just like i just want to do a party <laughs> so the wedding took place in the festival like they were they got well, married. Obviously the, fest- the festival couldn't happen obviously like you know it found out a week before five days before or something. so they they still wanted to have a bit of a celebration but there was people at the at the wedding that were obviously had bought tickets for the festival <laughs> so, but obviously they could only let 100 in so it was they were told obviously that the festival wasn't on but some people obviously they'd come over to greece they were just like oh just it sounds weird i'm gonna go check it out yeah. so they were in a random greek wedding and I, like as i know like you know i've not been to many greek weddings so i imagine <laughs> it's a strange experience anyway so yeah that was a, that was a kind of a map but yeah just from other people that have gone to greece i've seen loads of um 
it's just been a bit of a weird one with that. They've been on and off, and especially with the corridors the UK has. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. you literally can't book anywhere now because like you haven't got a clue of what's going to happen in the next week. So, right. And yeah, Pete, you're in, you're in, you're in London, right? Yeah, yeah, based cool. in London. Cool. So, for anyone who's listening uh, and doesn't really understand the aspect of like promotion, what you do, do you want us to give a quick synopsis of exactly what you do? Yeah. So basically, I'm at Jukebox, uh, which obviously is the head office is in London. Um, we actually head up. Uh, so there's an events and festival side of the company as well, which is obviously we obviously before COVID was, was thriving massively. I think we had up to like 70 festivals a year wow. uh, events. So yeah, it was it was it was mad. And then obviously that got flipped. Um, from my aspect, I, I'm the head of the artists and the label uh, promotion, so I head up that side of the business. Um, and obviously that's been a bit like obviously artists it's affected because there's no gigs, but the label side um has obviously thrived a little bit people have still got you know the people are still putting out music so people want to stay relevant and stuff so it's not been as crazy for me i suppose from that side of things but obviously I, you know i'm dealing with people that their livelihoods have kind of been crazy for the whole year so it's been a bit of a weird one but yeah so i mean i've been i've been at jukebox for i think six six and a half years now or something like that so yeah so i started as an intern did three months as an internship uh, and then yeah now now i've been i think i've been heading it up for like for about four years so so yeah been a long process. Sounds mad when I say six and a half years because I, I can literally remember when I started. This is an intern. Yeah, now. it goes by really fast. Especially, I mean, you're definitely super passionate about the music too, so I'm sure it just goes by so yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And it, it just, it's just obviously, especially because there's there's a few people that have been there for the whole time I've been there as well. So it's kind of mad to, to think that you know you don't see that, especially in this industry, people that stay together as a group for so long. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually met Pete. He he reached out to me and Ramsey, uh, my co-owner of Andera Records, and he said he had had an eye on us for a little bit of time. And, uh, you know, we get these emails all the time, but the way Pete approached was like super professional and like you had a bunch of notes on us, stuff that I didn't even realize that we were doing. So I thought that was cool. <laughs> so he jumped on the line with you and, you know, you did a really nice job on our Ken Kelly release. And we're doing the next one with Two Can Play now. And uh, obviously going to be working with you for the foreseeable future. So I'm really yeah. excited about that. So do you do that a lot, Pete? Do you reach out to artists a lot? Uh, well, like, like, like you said, like I, I kind of, I look out for a lot of labels anyway, and I just see, I see people doing other stuff. Sometimes people have already do, you know, they're already working with someone else. And I just saw, just so happened to see the label anyway. So like, I listened, I didn't really, this was like, I think November last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you guys, I don't know what release, were you on like release two or three then? I'm not when, you sure. reach out, when you reach out to us, it was after our VA that we had, which was like, yeah really that successful for us yeah we had 24 tracks and i was like you're crazy you're crazy don't do that but i'm surprised we were even and we were doing all the promotion ourselves. and like at that time i didn't we didn't really know what we were doing we still kind of don't know what our, we're doing but um yeah we, it was really successful VA, and i think that i mean you you were following from the beginning but i think after that is when you finally reached out to us and we started working with you so yeah i kind of saw it from november and then i just like like i say i like to because you're obviously on the first few week releases, I know that labels kind of want to see how it goes like organically themselves anyway, and obviously they're, they're new to this. So I, I, I didn't really think about hitting up then. I just thought I'll see, I'll, you know, just watch from afar just the label and obviously like listen to how you guys are doing. And then I think, it, was it like April, was it April, May? I can't remember when I got hit you guys. Like, I, I think, think I just it was said, the VA and I thought maybe then it'd be so, it would be nice just to actually know you guys anyway. More as just like a chat, I wanted to just see what you guys were doing, what your fans were, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, it's been a pleasure so far. So thanks for everything so far. I appreciate it. No um, and then you've worked with some pretty big artists, right? And I think I saw you post something about Charlotte DeWitte maybe a couple months ago. DeWitte. <laughs> DeWitte, is that how you say it? I still don't know how to say it really. I think it's Charlotte. I've heard her say it, so it's like DeWitte, yeah. It's not how I said it, basically. <laughs> anyway, I have no she's, idea. 
she maybe she doesn't know either. Yeah, probably not. She's does, obviously she's got uh, with the little Belgian accent, so I think it's uh, it's yeah, I think it's Davite. I don't know. She'd yeah, she's, have to she's sick. It just she's she's when a I, monster man. So many so many great tracks. She's the yeah. first techno show I ever went to. It's just like you know when you've never been to a techno show before, you don't really know what to expect. And it's just like to go right to her, just like whoa. Yeah, it's just definitely. so in your face and awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, like I say, I deal with mostly with uh, with her team. But I, I've, when we originally, because um, they approached us, and then when I originally speak, to, obviously we had a, a, a Zoom meeting like this, uh, and she was on the first call. So we spoke then, and she and she seems super cool and like you know, obviously like passionate about about the project and and obviously the label that she does uh, context. So she, she's she's mm-hmm. super passionate about that. They don't release like they do, I think they do like four years. So she's she's doing it the right way, kind of thing. Like, like spacing out. Um, but yeah, she's super cool. And then, like I say, the rest of the time, I, I, I mostly deal with the um, with the rest of the team. But but yeah, she seems cool. We've been doing her. I've been doing her for about five months, I think. Mm. So yeah, it's been a weird time to start doing to do, doing Charlotte. But um, but yeah, hopefully it's gonna it's gonna last for a while, and and we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I have a question about it. you said uh, they do four a year, and you said that's a good thing. Um, so are you on the general mentality that less is more when it comes to a label doing releases? I, I think the way that she, the way she approaching it, and I also think maybe for, I mean, I, I personally would release more than that. I think, mm-hmm. I think obviously, I think maybe like once a month, I think is a good, a good way yeah. to set yourself off uh, as, as, a, as a benchmark. And people also know to, you know, when it's going to come, say like the release, they always release end of the month. And I think that's a good one. I just think the way she's doing it, because, I don't. I, I could never see her doing anything like. I think even once a, once a month would be too much for her. Just that's just my general uh, the general gist I get from from when I've spoken to her. But but yeah, I don't think there's a there's a wrong or a right way at the end. I think obviously if you're releasing every every week or every two weeks, that's probably a bit excessive. But mm-hmm. I actually spoke to someone the other day, and they they they're going to start from doing one a month to one every three weeks, which is only an extra week. And I just said as, as long as the content is you know is still good, you've got enough amazing demos that are coming in that you want to sign. As long as that stays good, then I think three weeks is fine. Yeah. It's just like you see that people are maybe doing it every two weeks and they just want to put, you know, they've got to keep up with the schedule. So they might put something that probably wouldn't be released normally. I think that's more when it's a problem. But yeah, I think it's hard when when labels are, are getting so much quality content to just release one a month. That's why so many great labels have like, you know, one or two years of releases backed up. Um, and that's definitely problematic, especially during COVID times when everyone is producing like crazy. Yeah. Um, also, there's you must, there'll probably be t- sometimes where people will send demos, and because you've got you're so backed up, you might say, "Oh, I've got to wait." It, yeah, I want to sign it to the label, but it might have to wait eight months, and that that might mean you losing the opportunity because they might want to get it out. Obviously, yeah. yeah. I personally don't like to sign anything out more than three to four months because I just don't know where our sound's gonna go in that yeah. time. You know, we've even at Andera, yeah, we even at Andera, we start off very like happy, floaty, like stabby chords and. I think we're kind of going more that like clubby route now. So just like to sign out so far in advance to, to for me, I, I don't like it. But I guess when you're starting to work with bigger artists, you know, we're still working with some pretty small artists. So I think when you start working with the bigger artists, you need to work into their schedule. So at that point in time, you need to schedule out much further time. And Yeah, I just had questions is that, you know, you've been working with Charlotte Dota's team and I think like very few people know what that's like working with the team underneath the artist. Like, how many people work under her, for example? Uh, well, I mean, I deal mostly with uh, the label manager, um, a guy called Junior, and then the, her, her obviously manager as well. So it's just, I mean, there is, I think, other aspects to the team, and there's the social media people and stuff. But mostly day to day, I'm obviously dealing with with uh, the the manager and the label manager. Um, yeah. And then, like you know, obviously, when there's a release coming up, I get put into like you know the social media, blah blah blah. But 
predominantly it's just them two. But I know that she obviously has a big team. She's obviously got someone that, you know, like a tour manager, she's got all that. Like, so, yeah, I, you'd be surprised. I, swear, I mean, I, I don't know definitely, but I would imagine she's got at least a team of seven or eight. Or, wow. You know. It's like an organisation at that point. Yeah, so I suppose, like, I mean, obviously this year's proved it more than anything, but like she was probably doing like 200 shows last year. Yeah, so. she, she, I think she set a record for the artists with the most shows. Yeah, like I, I, I did see that somewhere. I saw that somewhere. Which is she, mad. That's mad. Yeah. <laughs> 200 is a lot. I, I, I'm pretty tired after one a, one a week, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. And like also on top of that, all the traveling and stuff, and it's, yeah. it's just like so tiring I, I give a lot of respect to people who are doing like consistent world tours and stuff like that it's like also they're by themselves a lot of the time too you know it's not every time you're gonna go with someone yeah, so yeah, definitely it's like it seems really glorious which i'm sure it is i mean playing for thousands of people is awesome it's something we all want to do as an artist but those are the things people don't really think about yeah so. i think it can probably get pretty lonely i mean if you, especially if you don't have someone to share these like incredible experiences with um i think that's that could be kind of a we were actually talking about the other day in terms of um obviously you get so used to doing all this traveling and even like like i said we did so many festivals so um so we were always constantly traveling in the summer anyway to go to these festivals and it's kind of like a big reset in the fact that once we once hopefully it does all start but coming back out whether it's next year or whether it's 2022 people we're going to be so used to now not doing it that it's going to be having to train yourself back to to, Mm -hmm. you know like I, like I find when we go to a lot of the festivals, obviously when I'm coming back on, on the Monday, I'm coming back to actually, you know, to go back to work. So I'm, I'm working again. So it's like you kind of have to balance the fact that, you know, you're traveling back and straight back into work. So, so now I'm, I'm not obviously not I'm missing the festivals and stuff, but it's kind of made it a lot more that you can easily focus on what you actually, you know, your actual campaigns and stuff like that without the direction. But that, I mean, of course, I'm, I miss the festivals and events. I think it will be like a retraining process because sometimes it, it takes stop doing it, stop doing it to make you realize shit like how was I doing all that? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Um, so I had a question for you, Pete. So when you first got into promotion, what are some things that you came up in uh, like in Chagas in terms of challenges that you weren't expecting that might have been a little like overwhelming in terms of promotion? Um, I think, well, I think as any PR, like once you start, you, it's, it's key to obviously building these relationships with all the media. Now that I've obviously been, uh, been there for so long, it's, it's kind of got to the point where like a lot of the relationships I have with media, I can, I can literally just drop them a text. I can do this or, you know, I can call them and it's, I already know them. Like that, that's something that you can only do, you know, once you've, you've had like years of experience because obviously these people change and editors change and stuff like that, but you build that thing that that from up from the start and obviously when you're starting out you don't have that so it's a lot more blinder and as long as you like you know you know you know your sites you know where places uh, different labels different artists want to be and you you, probably, you kind of have to do a lot more research then because obviously you're trying to trying to find the right person mm-hmm. i think it's definitely a lot easier the more you've done it because you, you know these people i already know if i get a certain release i know exactly who out of 10 journalists who's going to like it because i know i basically know them a lot of the time like they're on the other side of the world and maybe i've never even met them but it feels like you've got like a pen pal <laughs> because i've yeah, yeah that's kind of how we are i spoke to the to editors like you know three three maybe three times a week so um so yeah i literally feel like i know them without actually ever having I've actually met them a lot of them obviously you meet at places like ABE and, and at festivals and stuff but there's definitely ones that i've worked with for the last six and a half years and, and spoke to three times a week and i've never actually ever met them <laughs> Yeah, like I know them. <laughs> Obviously, with social media and stuff now, like you know, you see people's lives on on Facebook and stuff. And, and when you're doing them that often, like, I literally do. <laughs> It'd be so strange when I actually do. A lot of them, people in the US, especially, like when I do actually meet them in person, it would be, be weird. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of the producers, you know, connect through Facebook. I have so many Facebook friends. It sounds so weird to say, but I have so many Facebook friends I've never met before, but I feel like I'm, I just know them so well. Actually, it's yeah. funny with with Escanio, uh, we only met through Facebook and like he met, he's actually Ken Kelly's manager. And um, I just, he came over after not ever talking to him actually in person before. And I, I just I, felt I'm like I, I, I managed him for a year and I never met him in person. Yeah. <laughs> every day we were calling like facetiming every single day it was but when i when i met him it was like so normal that's the crazy part i just felt like nothing like it was nothing was changing was that the first time you met him when i met you yeah wow how, how crazy is that well, this is this is in new york yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and i'm actually moving there in four months so you're moving to new york yeah so you are you you're based in in oh you're from the uk I'm from London, but right now I'm based in Berlin. I'm based in Berlin. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. I've. This is my studio. I actually live here. <laughs> uh, it's great. I love it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's time for me to move on. Uh, I've been in this city long enough, and uh, you kind of hit a wall uh, at one point when you live in Berlin, especially when it comes to uh, house music, because techno is so much bigger here, and underground music is is just enormous here. That house, tech house, minimal. They kind of really take a step back compared yeah. to places like ibiza london and even even new york honestly yeah. um but yeah also like pretty much all of my connections are in new york so i'm moving there and i'm very excited for that honestly it's gonna be great it's good good timing as well i suppose <laughs> we've obviously with yesterday yeah, yeah i know that's that's part probably why I'm, I'm pretty relieved <laughs> i was gonna move there no matter what honestly but i'm, I'm relieved yeah. that that's, no, no, that's all that way um, but yeah, actually, I have a question about something you said, Pete. So you mentioned that you've been working for, with media for the last six and a half years, and that's a pretty general term. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think w when you joined Jukebox six and a half years ago, blogs were definitely more important than they are now. Um, yeah. And yeah. obviously, they still have importance, especially bigger ones like Mixmag when we did. Well, I wouldn't really call Mixmag a blog, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so how, how much of a decline do you think blogs have taken in importance? And where do you see it going from here? I think I think blogs have obviously taken, and even even print stuff, print magazines have obviously taken a bit more of a decline over the last sure. year, just because of the the fact that there's there's other other different things. I think that's one thing that has massively changed um, and evolved in in time, even just the time I've been at Jukebox, because obviously things like Instagram, which is a great place to to promote music now, but, you know that was probably the last two years that's become fairly big. Obviously, Spotify is is a huge one. Um, so I think that that. The focus on blogs is maybe slightly less, is obviously less because there's more other channels that you, it's not as important because there are other things. There was always radio, there was always print, but now, and, and online, and now there's, you know, you've got Instagram, you've got Spotify, you've got YouTube. So I think it's just about trying to cater for all of those really and, and getting a good balance. And also for different labels, different artists want different things. So you kind of have to be schooled in all of those things to, so that for each label, you know, you can focus on their actual demands. And that, like I, with, um, when I spoke to Carla and Ramsey, like uh, it's kind of important when you start from the outset to find out what what they got, what they want from the label and where they want to focus and you know do they want to really want to focus on a Spotify playlist in or do they want to focus on getting a lot of online coverage and talking about the label and doing label features yeah. like that or, mm -hmm. or you know or do they want to focus on radio so every label is completely different and 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 in how that they want to they want to do things and what they would but most the ideal is all of them yeah i did yeah ideally of course all of them but there are some people that like you know they're not they're not so focused on i mean the one the one that everyone is at the moment is spotify because obviously everyone yeah. is the you know the reach of it and at the end of the day that's kind of also at the moment how people are making more chance of making money because there's no there's no actual any gigs so mm -hmm. so yeah i think i think it's been that's especially the last couple of years obviously spotify and instagram they've been two things that 
you would never have said them obviously six years ago so I think that's been a massive thing so I think like I said that's meant that online stuff has has lost a little bit of its importance I still think that if like you say that the top sites and stuff it still carries that weight but but definitely there's not as much weight to it as as I, as I would say five years ago yeah I think that I think that when you um got all that coverage for Ken Kelly I mean we got such a flood of demos from that so and just like that type of stuff is is so nice for for such a small label like like ours and Derek. I never thought we'd have been in, in DJ Mag this year, um, but something like that really ups your credibility and that, that really helped us out. And like I, we got so many demos after that; it was so crazy. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely still has an effect. Definitely not something that should be overlooked completely. I think it yeah. still plays a very big importance. I think things like that as well. Also, like you say, there's there's selling a release and there's like actually like enhancing the the brand and enhancing mm -hmm. the label. Things like the print and the online stuff that. Kind of um, website stuff is something that's going to help the, the brand. And like say in the magazine, mm. it's going to help the brand. It's not, it, yeah, it'll push the release, but it's more about actually like suddenly people, more people are seeing Andrea and they're, so they're knowing it from that. So I think there's, like I said, there's there's value to every to every every type of press thing. But I think yeah, definitely, really the definitely weight has shifted a little bit in the last few years. So yeah, yeah you th so so you're saying like br basically like all this print stuff. It's actually more for, for the people who already know Andhera so that they see it on the Instagram page. Oh, wow, these people are in DJ mags. They must be super legit. Or people who are thinking of submitting demos and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I mean, that to me, that's, yeah, that's really bad. I mean, how many people really see those articles, do you think? Like a DJ for, mag for, article? For mag the magazine or for online? Yeah. For online. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, there's, there's obviously you can look at the, the stats and stuff. But I mean, it like I say, it depends. If it's DJ mag, I would say that, that it still carries quite a lot of weight. Yeah, uh, for sure. There's there's definitely smaller sites that you know. I think it's all about the content. If your content is regular, I think you'll still have a, a group of fans, and and it's how obviously the site pushes themselves as well. I think just having that content for like us to repost on our socials is so great. Um, yeah, it really is. Like like Scott said, is having that credibility is it just it's awesome. Very interesting, man. And and so what do you like? What do you think? of this sort of recent trend. For me, it's recent because I only got started to get involved in minimal music recently, but there's this trend I see where people are pushing their Beatport presence like so hard and, you know, get, trying to get sales, trying to chart. And for me, it feels like Spotify is like seconds to Beatport when it comes to these more underground genres. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I think, like I said, I think from a, from a gig's perspective, like obviously when I, because I, we do management as well, like which I'm sure we'll go on to. From, um, sure. But I think like, yeah, so if you get a Beatport number one, obviously that's the kind of thing that you can use to carry, to carry weight, I think, for, for when you're trying to put your, your gig fee up and stuff like that. So I think that's where they probably see it. Um, it's not like the commercial techno scene where like some of the gig fees are, are obviously astronomical. So with the minimal guys, I think that that's, they see that as, as a way to, to kind of push that up. So I, I think that's probably why. Um, I, I mean, like I say, maybe that, maybe that will change soon because I think the way that Spotify is going is, is, is the one thing that everyone wants. So um, I, I agree with what you say for that genre. Um, but yeah, I can see maybe it might change it over, over time. Yeah, interesting. Because like, we were talking to Ben Murphy uh, last week on the podcast and he had, how many number ones did he get I recently, he, Kai? I think he had three number ones in two weeks. That's so crazy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So I actually also look after, um, I don't know if you know, the, the, the Ukrainian guys, Arba. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah, of Yeah, of course. Oh, wow. 
yeah, yeah. So, so we, so we actually, this is one of the, obviously a lot of people speak about this one because obviously we, when I started doing the PR with them, it was about three and a half years ago. So obviously they were quite unheard of then. So it's been like a mad rise. But um, the mad. reason why I say it is because I think like their last one was something like their eighth in a row, eighth number what Beatport, like whole Every time. Yeah, every, time. every time. Literally, I mean, obviously it's great for, great for us and it's great for, you know, to, to, you know, we're obviously doing something right. But I mean, it's literally got to the point now where I feel like <laughs> it's just going to go to number one anyway. Like, yeah. But that's yeah, crazy. all the back work I suppose you've done. And then that, like I see all the, the madness that, that every, every time they release a track, it's just like everyone goes insane for it. So yeah, it's good music. It's great music. It's fucking great music. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's so- like music that I think is very for Beatport that people are going like, to, you know, that kind of drama does always do well in the big, in the main Beatport chart. So I think um, it's big stage. It's big stage music. Yeah, they don't seem good, right? But, but yeah, it's something mad, like eight, eight in a row they've had. <laughs> I released an EP of that kind of music um, on one of my side projects, and I didn't have anyone helping me with promotion or anything, and the EP hit number 12 on all of Beatport. Oh, wow. And I was just like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> I do definitely was, think that genre, yeah. Is, is, is the, it's that genre. It's, I mean, it's very, it's very random to see a, a minimal tech. Uh, a track being the actual full number one, I think. Like, it I mean, is. I've it seen, um, was it like there was Jaden Thompson? Uh, yeah, Thirsty Eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I can't remember. I think that did go to number one as well. So we were working on that actually, but I think it, I'm pretty sure that went to, to full number one as well. But that's very rare. Like, I, I don't see that very often but just because of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, each individual chart is like a totally different beast, right? So the minimal yeah. charts are pretty easy to get on, but the melodic yeah. house and techno ones are a nightmare. Tech house ones also pretty hard. Yeah. Would you yeah. say Melodic House and Techno is the hardest? The hardest to, well, I think it's just the one that I always see in the main ones because I think more people are buying that. So that would suggest yeah. that, you know, it's obviously they're selling more. Um, yeah. yeah, that's just some, like I say, I don't, I, I don't really go into the stats too much and see like how much it is to get a number one and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, that's just what I see from the outset. Uh, I, always, I always see many Melodic Techno tracks in the, in the, the main top 10. Yeah. Well, uh, you spoke briefly about management, and um, we can get back to streaming later because there's obviously endless, endless stuff to talk about. But yeah, we're we're really interested in hearing about your management, and I, like I know you you manage Ray Mono, right? Yeah, yeah. Great! Wow, that's great. And so, how does that work? Uh, how long have you been working with him, and who else? Uh, who else do you manage? So, so yeah, so we've been with with Ray Mono. I think it's been about it's been about eighteen months now. Um, and obviously, everyone sees how prolific he is in terms of his release schedule and stuff like that. It's just been mm. a, been mad because this was the year that we kind of thought, oh, this is all going to kind of blow up. And then obviously, it's the worst timing. Um, mm. But we, we decided to, to, you know, we still wanted him to have a super tight release schedule. Uh, so he was releasing pretty much like once a month. He's done stuff on like Do Not Sleep. He just released literally on Locus, which was a big one. Such good music, man. So consistent. Who, yeah, who yeah. runs Locus? Who is that? It's a sub-label of Fuse. Oh, it's oh. Subsuzzle. Yeah, okay, yeah, interesting. The new label of Fuse. So, so yeah, that was a big one for obviously hit for him. Uh, so yeah, so but we wanted to release that. It's just a shame that obviously normally we, you know that would be happening and we could get some some insane videos and even try and get him down to to play at one of the Fuse events and stuff. And it's just like mm. obviously it's kind of lost a little bit. But obviously he, he had it in his head to he'd always wanted to be on that as well. So it was a good milestone for him. Anyway, so the, the bench is kind of moved. Obviously, we've had to, you know, we wanted 2020 to be Asia. So now it's like, you know, we're, we're kind of waiting to see what happens for 2021. But, um, but yeah, obviously, like you say, everyone, everyone always like loves 
he's super impressed by his releases and stuff. So I think it's 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 kind of a guarantee that he's going to get a lot a lot more recognition when it all opens up. So so yeah, he's been a really good. I mean, I always liked him. We actually knew him from. Um, for years anyway so he was always uh and, and he's and his brother so me and alex who's the owner of jukebox we knew him really well anyway uh and then he just started kicking on so, so his, just, like, his brother owns jukebox no no sorry no no his his, his brother knew alex well who's the owner oh, okay of and then obviously i i met raymond through uh through his brother um but yeah this is years ago so like well, from when i started so we, we and he used to come to festivals with us and part like you know we were partying with him um, and then, yeah, like I say, it just he, he decided to step it up a little bit, and so we were like, "Oh, we'll try, we'll take you on to manage." So yeah, it's been it's been a good one as well. Um, I also manage uh, the mechanism, obviously from uh, from Paris. Uh, so a bit like how you said earlier, like in terms of when you were managing Ken Kelly, and, and you only uh, you didn't see him for a year. Obviously, Damien's based in, in in Paris, so obviously we've met a few we've met a few times now. But it's not the kind of you know it's nice when you can actually Raymond being based in the UK, like you can see him fairly. Well. Um, so it's been it's, it's trickier when you can't obviously see him, but I mean now like we're all getting used to that anyway. So it's not it's, it's not, and I and I end up speaking to Damien pretty much every day anyway, or every couple of days. So yeah. if you, I feel like when you actually can't see him, you end up speaking to him more because you know you you made that effort to to uh, to chat. So but yeah, he's he's been somebody that I really liked for ages. I just literally reached out to him uh, maybe about a year, like I say, a year just over a year, I think it was. Um, and yeah, and just just to just see if he had management, and he was like, "Oh, I've just I've just literally left my old management company." And so I was just like, "Yeah." So the conversation started like that, and uh, and yeah, and he's 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 a legend, like one of the, the nicest guys you can manage as well. Super on it. If you ask him to do something, he does it within like a day. Like, amazing. His p- production is like I could literally say say you know say we need a remix for this, and it'd be done in like two days. Like he, I never seen anyone work so so insanely quick. <laughs> so but yeah, and always like and just different dramas as well with, with uh, the mechanism. Like you just can literally just spin. I think he even did a, he sent me a, just a random demo of a melodic techno track the other day. It was like, it was pretty sick that he's going to do under another alias. But I was just like, he did it. He literally started it in the morning and finished it at like 3 p.m. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It definitely chart. Like it was insane. That, that sounds like how I produce. I sent a yeah, scan. Kai is a monster. I saw I saw a few things. I saw like a status of yours, Kai, like about, about you were talking about how doing different, um, just even when you're just playing around, doing different genres. And I think it definitely yeah. that's a sign of a good producer because yeah, we all have like what we want to produce and what we want our you know mm-hmm. our, to be known for. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's 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 a passion. So you, I think good great. music just just speaks so well, and then if I think being a diverse producer has helped me so much more than it's hurt me. And I, everyone always thinks you know it's great to have a sound. I think it's cool once you figure out your sound to just be able to tweak it. So I actually just sent over demos to Knee Deep in Sound, and uh, I didn't sound like anyone else. I sounded like myself. I just, you know, tastefully did it within my style. So I think it's important to to try different things. Always try to keep your sound, but don't like go into producing thinking I'm gonna make this set because then you're just forcing it. I just go in and make whatever sounds cool. That's always yeah. I'd I'd actually go further than that. I'd say in this day and age where electronic music moves so quickly between uh, subgenres and genres, I think experimenting is absolutely essential to maintaining a good status as a producer for a long period of time. Uh, because, I mean, if you look at the scene like three years ago, it was still like Deep House, Tech House had started coming, like Fisher was coming in, right? And now it seems to be focusing more on like minimal tech, mm-hmm. which is a crazy shift, right? And so if you haven't um, practiced making a lot of different genres, this might be too much for you and you might not be able to make that shift eventually. Yeah. I have like, 
six different side projects. I, ha I have my Camino project, which is my main one, Tech House, Proximo, which is Melodic Techno, Zero Sum, which is Dubstep and Mid Tempo, <laughs> KB95 with Kai, that is um, Techno, straight up Techno, which I'm really excited for. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have a project with my friend back in California, which is like a mixture of techno and classical music. How do you so, do uh, that all, man? I, well, I so just do it all day, all the time. You go in the studio tomorrow morning and like, do you think, I suppose you get inspiration, but like you, because you've got so many different aliases or genres, it's like, do you just, you, you set out with the fact that, oh, I'm going to do a dubstep track today or I'm going to do it, or do you literally just, you had some inspiration and I'm done the weekend and you want to do this genre. And, yeah, it's weird when you've got so many. <laughs> it is. It is weird. It's all inspiration. I mean, if I if I will literally go on Spotify and kind of just find a cool track, it, dep it depends on my mood. It really depends on my mood. Most of the time, I'm feeling Camino. I'm feeling just like Tech House. Yeah. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, when I'm having, it, it's also to do with like what's happening around me. Like in in the middle of uh, the first lockdown, I was feeling pretty weird, and I started making a lot of minimal, like really weird stuff. And that's how I started that side project. But when I was like in summer, I was focusing more on dubstep because I was going to have festivals and I was hyped up all the time. And in winter in Berlin is when I started the techno stuff because, you know, you go clubbing in Berlin at like the middle of December. It's like minus five and you're just like cold as fuck. And in the clubs, it's just like doom, 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 doom the whole time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all. I mean, Kai, remember those two tracks we started that were really good? Those ones we started after you were partying and going to a techno party, right? Yeah. That's so crazy. Every time you, you go to see a cool show and something you're not really used to, it's just like, wow, I want to make that. Yeah, it's sick. I love it. I love it. Do you, uh, do you produce, Pete? No, I'm I mean, I, I, Damien was actually, the, the mechanism, he was actually taking me to Paris to have like a bit of a crash course. So I'm actually, if I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn through him. Um, sick. But yeah, I don't know if I could, I mean, like I say, he's the perfect person to know to, to do different genres. So um, we'll see. I mean, next time we can go to Paris. I was actually going to go to Paris uh, the, the, the weekend before uh, the first lockdown started and obviously the, the, the party that was in Paris got cancelled. Uh, then the oh. Eurostar got cancelled. Um, so I was actually planning then, I was going to this, uh, to a heads up party. Obviously, I don't even know the French um, label. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then I was going two, three days with Damien in his studio. So, um, and then obviously it all got cancelled. So, so yeah, we've had to wait. I would have loved to have been able to do at least that trip and then I could have, uh, you know, I've had lockdown so I could have actually paid around then. But um, yeah. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think it will happen, definitely happen eventually. Yeah, well, I, t I teach at an electronic music school in Berlin, so if you have any questions, just let me know. Yeah, no, I'll give you, I'll <laughs> give you a, a few free hours if you want as well. I, don't, I, I love it. I love teaching. Yeah, definitely, that, so. definitely. I actually, like, uh, I, I, would, I find the, the idea of producing a lot, lot, lot more, maybe I'd be more interested in doing that than just regular DJing. So I think, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely something that I want to get in, into over, you know, in the next, next year or so. Sick, man. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, so we, we'd like to play um, some of the tracks that you guys are like promoting at the moment. So do you have um, anything that you'd like us to play out? Uh, so this first one I'm sending now is uh, it's from a UK label called Wall Street. Uh, I, the, at the moment, I just I love everything that they've done. They, I've been kind of working with them maybe a month before actually Andera as well, so quite recent. Uh, and they just everything they've been putting out is just mad, is mad at the moment. Like they once they do like once a month, but this one is actually from Paul uh, Harrow, but it's got like an amazing remix from uh, the French guys holding the fact.
Matzo remix of Distant by Paul Harrow. Crazy track, super funky. Um, so you mentioned, uh, Pete, you've been working with this label for some for about a year now ish. Uh, no, less than that. I think like maybe six months. Six okay, months. cool, cool, cool. Wall Street. Uh, you said, actually huh? introduced. Yeah, Wall Street. I was actually introduced to him by uh, Ray Mono. Ray Mono had a release on there as well. So, um, so I don't know how long he'd known them as well. But um, I think they were only on like release number seven, eight. But yeah, every single we've probably done it from. I think the first two he'd done himself. So I've done the ones after. So about six months. Um, and every every everyone's just just massive. So um, yeah, and it's nice the UK label as well. It's like super really nice guy who's doing it. A guy called Josh Roberts, um, and I think he's got like two other co uh, that co run the label with him. But obviously, I deal with him. But yeah, every, everything's amazing. And this particular one, the the whole EP's just got like mad feedback. But but especially Odin the Factor, who seem to be everywhere at the moment as well. Like I, mm-hmm. I've literally been on like they were. I think they just released on Moscow with. Um, with Archie, Ooh, Archie's label, yeah. Wow, that's very impressive. That's huge. That's and such a great label. I've been him on a few others as well, like literally, like, they've just been destroying. Like, you say talking about the charts, like so sometimes you just, obviously I see it anyway because I want to see like, how different labels we're working with, but then you see the same names just popping up there just constantly. Like, I mean, it must be a good, even though I don't think it's always about like the chart recognition, to be honest, uh, but I do obviously know that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of our job. So, Obviously, it's good when they're in the charts, but I mean, I, I know obviously everyone doesn't just think of that of a label, but yeah, I just constantly saw that. I've been constantly seeing their name recently. And, and obviously, every time, every time Wall Street has been a release, all, normally all the tracks have charted. So, but yeah, they're definitely doing something good. They had some really good, um, I saw some really good parties that they were doing at the start of lockdown as well, on like boat stuff. So, um, but yeah, I think they're going to be really, they're another one that I think it's a shame this year, but I think they're going to they're have a really strong 2021. Hopefully with events as well. We just we never know, but I think that definitely that's one of the labels that at the moment I'm I'm really excited about, and I think that they're, they're going to do really good things. Yeah, and speaking of, of of lockdown, you guys obviously went into a, a second one. I know it's such a sore subject. I feel so bad bringing this up all the time. But um, <laughs> speaking of the second lockdown, do you think this has affected your? Because I know, and actually in this time, surprisingly, this has actually affected a lot of people positively in terms of producing music and stuff. Do you think this has positively impacted? Uh, sorry, positively impacted your business, and people need to be using promotion more in this time, or are people kind of laid off because you know people aren't playing tracks out more often? How's it affected you guys? I think as a company as a whole, obviously, like I say, we did so many festivals and events. So as a company, it's definitely definitely ne- negatively affected just because, you know, there's no festivals, no events. So that's a big part of the business. But from my side, I suppose, I mean, other, other than the drop a little bit of artists, because, you know, it's all right for the Charlotte, Charlotte Levitz and Art Bats and people like that, that obviously can afford to keep the press, you know, despite not playing really. Um, a lot of the smaller artists, you know, they can't. So it's affected the artist side, but like you say, there's been a lot more music. So the, the label promo side has, has been, it's been, super healthy throughout the year i think even though there's certain you know a lot of people aren't looking at promos dj wise obviously they're not playing everything but they still are there's still live streams there's still stuff like that so and like i say it's more about them wanting to stay relevant and labels wanting to sometimes labels have got so much stuff going on they're playing themselves on the weekend as you probably know um mm-hmm. it's hard to do you know it's hard to juggle all that they might even have other jobs as well so um i think now with having a step back from you know everyone's taking a step back in their lives I think it's meant that more the labels can get more organized and to, to keep, keep the content going so from that side i think that's been positive but we were also talking the other day i just think that there's going to be a mad uh, surge in um in 2021 of obviously albums so that literally everyone's going to put out put out an album so that's, a good yeah, point. that's going to be a crazy year i think for albums. yeah albums are so interesting i feel like no one really does them. i mean my favorite album i've heard in a long time was the hasm 82 a track just it's brilliant 
albums are so ish, so cool, especially when they're done properly and they're super diverse. Like Leighton Giordani's newest album was awesome. It was so diverse. Um, but you know, just like for someone to put out like twelve banging tech house tracks on an album doesn't really make sense. But yeah, it doesn't. To, to see these artists go super diverse, I lo- I would love to put out an album one day. I was um, gonna say that. I was gonna say, are you, when are you having my, in mind to do that on Andira? Um, not that I'm saying it's your album, but obviously yeah. have I, I think I would love to do my, my own personal album on the label one day. I think that's everyone who owns the label's dream is to have a, just like an awesome polished piece of eight to 12 tracks. Um, I, I think it'd be really cool. I just want to wait a little bit. I'm still pretty new to producing, only two years. So I want to learn a little bit more before I, you know, really sink that time in. So, and I, I'm just now coming out of that mass output phase where I want to start doing more quality because I think I did like. 15 releases by the end of this year it'll be 15 and that was kind of a lot it's hard to push all this because like working with labels are great but they don't always do i don't want to make anyone upset but i'm not going to name anybody but they don't always do the best job um it's like i feel like i'm sort of pushing it harder than the label is and i guess i don't know but that's also why i started the label too because i didn't like some things i was seeing and i i wanted to make sure i put artists first over the label first because i've worked with labels that are just putting it out to stay relevant and they're not caring about the artists or okay i always ask the artist when do you want to put this out when are you comfortable how can we push this together versus saying okay this is what we're doing on this date like i we even go as far to show them the artwork like hey do you approve this do you want to change anything do you oh, like wow. this because yeah because this is a representation of their work you know yeah, it's yeah. not yeah as much as it's our project and we wouldn't have it without them so i think it's super important and i think it's benefited us a lot where you know we have a we have a huge chat with all the andera artists and we're always talking in there and helping each other out. So I think it just helps to build a sense of community when you're too. Doing, when you're choosing remixes for the EP, I mean, obviously I know a lot of labels pick it itself. Sometimes the artists will want to say, do you, so I'm guessing with Andira, you guys kind of have a bit of a that with the artists. And do they, do they might have in mind? And obviously you guys can say, do you have in mind? Yeah, so with the, the Jeff Sorkowitz EP we have coming out with, uh, with Vlad, um, we, we asked him, I was like, is there anyone in mind? He didn't really have anyone, but I always like to ask first, because if the artist wants it, I'm gonna try my hardest to get it for them. So mm. um, yeah, I think it's important to ask the artist that, but also, I mean, we'll always suggest people too, because we have an idea of what we want for the vision and the label. Um, but yeah, I think it's just always important to include the, the artist in that, the process of releasing the music, because I've released on labels where I didn't even know it was coming out, and I just go on my beat port, and it's there, and I had never seen the artwork, and they didn't send me the files to post. It's like, how am I supposed to push this with you if I don't have what I need? So I'm, I've yeah. seen all those kind of cases. I've seen labels that, like, literally, they don't even, you know, it comes out, and the artist probably found out, like, two days ago, or something stupid, something insane like that, or that, you know, that they, they literally have no, there's no communication with the artist, and I just, that's, that's mad. But then I also, see, like I say, I see other labels that are, like, super on it, and like you say, even showing the artwork and stuff like that, so I've seen, yeah, I've seen, I've seen kind of all the cases off of all, of all the genres, so they have those genres that label like. Yeah, and those artists, they want to come back and release on your label because they had such a good experience. And I think that's super important in building your brand is to re-release the same artist as much as you can. Um, it's good for your brand. It's also good for an artist to be associated with a label over time. And a, I, lot of I think, labels, a lot of labels, when they start, do that as well because they want to get, like, you know, you want to get the click and, like, a bit of a group. So you have, like, the same seven or eight artists always releasing on the label. I know that kind of stops some newer people coming into that click. It's a bit like we do, we do the stuff for Dynamic as well. So I know Dynamic at one stage were very, like he was, you know, it would be, it was Gollum and Posh, it would be Adra would be, I think it was Karma, and, like, you know, all those people, but it was always the same group. And so they had a really strong identity. Um, 
So I think, and a lot of people are doing that. Same with like Solid Grooves and people like that. Mm. Like, fine. Like, same with Fuse. So I mm -hmm. think it's, it's a bit of a mixed one. I think, but it, there's different ways to do it. Some people want to just showcase different people, but I, I do think it's quite important now to get into that little, to get a quick and to get a group so that, you know, but in terms of events and stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially in terms of events. Like, I like what Solid Grooves did with their last VA, which is they brought a lot of different people on board on that one. But then all of their EP releases recently have been established artists, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we I mean, Ben, I was we were talking to Ben last time and he said um, he sent them over 100 demos before getting yeah. a track oh. signed, which is insane. Um, but that goes to show, I mean, like, you really need to have very high quality to get released on good labels. And even, I mean, even under Hera, you know, you guys are very selective and rightly so, you know. That's one of the reasons why Inherit is, is really cool and why I love working with you guys. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, God, we've talked so much about COVID, Kai. <laughs> yeah, let's move, let's, let's move away from COVID. And yeah, um, I think everyone's I mean, tired this, of hearing about that. This, is still, this next thing's still COVID-related, but I think it's really interesting to talk about. Um, yeah, we sent, we sent over two articles, CP. I don't know if you got a chance to look at them. Ascana, um, you want to go into these? Yeah, so this is really interesting. Basically, uh, recently, clubs um, were allowed to get, in, in England anyway, uh, sort of this, get money from a, a cultural recovery fund. Uh, and I saw Fabric got it. I saw uh, a lot of other clubs got it. Um, but I noticed that Printworks did not get it, which is crazy to me because it's probably the biggest, uh, Printworks and all the LWE clubs are like the biggest ones in, in London. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, them as well, them as well, which is which doesn't make any sense to me, to be honest. But to, to make matters worse, I think, um, Re Resident Advisor got a lot of money from the government. Um, and I think, I don't know if you saw like the backlash they've been getting, you know, they're just like the promoters basically and, and the ticket people and the news, and they get money, and then. <laughs> Clubs, the a lot reason of RA operates, uh, are, are not getting like, any money. It was a million, nine hundred thousand, wasn't it? Something, something insane like that. Not that, not that they don't, they don't deserve it. No, they definitely play a nice pivotal role in the industry. But it's just like without these clubs and like something so established as Printworks bringing in so much money, just why? I, I just don't know why they would get. Rejected. I saw the one from from three three eight. I saw the owner of three three eight, and he like kind of left, um, released a statement, and it was about saying how. From what he'd heard, it was because that they didn't, the way that they, obviously you, you claim for it and you get professionals to do it. And they, but the people that did get it had like established people that are used to doing these things. And so it was all done like really. And that was kind of, I think, how they were judging it. And so if you did it yourself, like, and it wasn't like, you know, you're not used to doing this kind of claim, uh, a lot of them did got declined. So it's, yeah, so it's mad. But like you say, like, how, how print works, can't, can't get it. And, and like I say, even three three eight, it's like you know, it's a huge venue. Uh, and then, not like I say, RA should definitely get something, but I think it's just these people aren't getting a penny, and then they're getting seven hundred thousand. It's just like that could it could have been balanced out a lot better. I think. Yeah, but I guess that that the government's dealing with so many different companies and industries that they're just like overwhelmed. Um, I think they, Fabric, Fabric didn't get it straight away. I think Fabric. No, it took them a while. Yeah, it was still a bit delayed. But it's just like. You know, you've got this club in the centre of London, centre of London, and you've obviously mad bills and stuff, and a huge, huge amount of staff. Um, so yeah, it just it seems, it seems madness to me. Obviously, I, I actually saw the list of like uh, every, you know, exactly the breakdown of every single person that got it. It was huge, but um, yeah, some, there were some weird, weird names on there that you just thought, like, and the amounts, and then you just thought, how the hell is print work to all these people not on it? Yeah, and so I mean, what, like, 
Fabric is probably like the last big club in London, really. It's in, you know, and and I growing up there, you know, I was going to a lot of clubs and seeing them, seeing a lot of them close was was pretty sad to be honest. Um, and you know, part of that is due to gentrification, rising rent prices, so on and so forth. But like, what do you think is going to happen to the London club? I mean, when everything reopens, what do you think is the direction the London clubbing scene is going to go in? Because you see venues like Fold opening up outside of London, which yeah. is small, great, amazing venues, and you also get huge venues like Printworks becoming more of a trend recently. So, what do you think is the direction it's going to take? I, I actually think like that just before COVID, obviously, I think obviously there was a lot of clubs closing in London the years before and then the yeah. last year or so like you say with places like Fold with the cause uh Filmworks is a little bit older but like there was there was actually like things were starting to grow a little bit and like you say a little bit out of London like like the Fold and the cause that were huge clubs but um so it's starting to look a little bit promising I know that there's lots of still there's lots of closures happening I think now it's completely been flipped and and we don't really know the, the, the uncertainty because we have no idea when events will start anyway, so even the ones that are kind of set and even ones that maybe did get this grant, like, you, you literally, cause it's, it's not like we're saying, oh, like, the events will be on in, in March, and then we can all plan around that day. Like, we still have no idea when events will be open and how they'll be open and stuff like that. So um, I've actually been to a few things for, um, for the cause over the last couple of months. They, they have a huge terrace. Um, so they've, you know, obviously the club can't, be, can't happen, but they've actually used this, this terrace they had. They've got food trucks and, They've turned into a really nice, a nice space, and they've obviously evolved given the situation. Um, but yeah, still weird because you've got the DJ booth and, and, and no one can stand up, or you know, mm. you, you can walk around but with a mask. It's still a mad, mad situation. But it's at least they're, they're the kind of people because of the setting that they've been able to do that. Like fabric, obviously, can't do that. Don't yeah, it's something. It's something better than nothing, you know. Exactly. But uh. I mean, hopefully, you know, like I say, by March, April next year, we'll, we'll, we'll know a little bit more clear of what, what it would be. Um, but it doesn't look good at the moment. It seems like if things can't open, these small these small venues can't really get going again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're actually coming up on like an hour already. I can't believe it. Um, there were a couple more things we want to ask you, but I guess we'll just kind of con- condense it down. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you one more question before we went into the next track. Um, with all the promotion you do and all the talent you see, if there's your top three artists and top three labels to look out for in the upcoming year, who would they be? Uh, well, I think definitely for the labels, uh, like I say, Wall Street is, is one that I've, uh, I've, been, I've been living in the last few months. So I definitely say they're one to watch. Um, I, obviously, your own, Andira. I feel like they're, they're, they're on <laughs> hey. there, it's only been, a, like you say, just over, has it been a year or a year we and had a half? Our, we had our first, we did a free download before we launched. We think we had two free downloads, but uh, the official first launch, like sometimes the like, distribution was in January. Uh, like middle of January, so yeah, not even a year yet. I can't believe it. Can't believe it's coming up on a year already. It goes so fast. There's also there's also things like uh, with Ray Mono, he's starting a new label, uh, so hopefully that will be maybe from January, maybe February. So that's going to be one to look out for. Dem- Got to send some demos over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's also uh, there's another label called Quite. It's actually called Quite Nice Actually. Uh, and the first Quite Nice Actually, that's sick. <laughs> Yeah. And it's another guy, it's, a, it's an artist I look after called Zaza, who I've just started managing. Um, so yes, I'm really, um, really, the first release is on November 27th, so coming up soon. But, um, but yeah, he's going to be doing like one a month, I think. But, but I think in 2021, definitely, that's going to be one uh, one to watch out for. I'll, have, I'll send over some stuff to you guys as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a cool name, but it's also like, yeah, even the, I think the first EP is called Sexy Elephants. 
So <laughs> I can't I can't remember the second one, but it's like super cool as well. The second one, it's like it's always it's very clever. And uh, yes, I, I think and then good music. I think the first one has got like two originals uh, of him, uh, and then the re- there's remixes from the Mechanism, but also from uh, Ben Sterling. So yeah, it's Ooh. not bad. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty ben, solid. Ben's a that's very pretty... I'm a very big fan of Ben. I played like three of his tracks myself yesterday. He's, He's awesome. so good. He's so yeah. good. Cool. And then, did you go into the top three artists you said you look out for for next year? Uh, oh, I mean, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be obviously gonna, Donna's gonna say Ray Mono just because I feel like, even if I would have said it last year, um, I thought, again probably Zaza just because no one actually knows who Zaza is really at the moment. It's gonna be quite a, a, a weird one to start with him, uh, and then who, who, who to look out for? Um, I mean, also, I'd say mechanism. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna stick for the three that I look after. I to, yeah, I to, nice. nice. Damien, Damien will be that's, like, a, yeah. <laughs> that's a good manager right there. A good manager, yeah, basically. Yeah, that's so how, cool. I know we we're going past now, but I am quite curious. Do you, I mean, do you have do you have a few extra minutes to spare? Cool, man. I was just wondering. You know, you we're talking about management a lot, and uh, I think the people listening are probably quite interested in knowing what exactly do you do as a manager. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, also I started management probably about a year and a half ago, pretty much mm-hmm. when we started Ray Mono. Um, so I was, and I was super excited to do it because obviously I've done PR for, for so long and, and obviously it's a, it's a different role. Be, being a manager and being able to do your own press for the guy, to, for the artist as well is, is obviously amazing, amazing to do. Uh, I think finding them, when, as soon as you take over, finding them the right booker, uh, obviously in Europe, but also in, in America and South America, that's a key thing. Uh, and obviously we have relationships with that, but it's also something that I'm still learning in terms of, you know, who's the best book for this, for this type of artist in, you know, in Australia or this. So that's things that obviously I'm, again, it's like starting out new, I suppose, on the press side and you're building up relationships like that. And then it helps obviously in terms of signing, uh, signing music for helping the artist sign music to labels. Um, obviously I have a lot of connections with labels as well. So I think it definitely helps becoming a manager once you've done the PR side because you've already can kind of cover those bases which if you don't do then a normal manager would have to outsource so I think um, we can kind of offer it a bit more 360 um, so yeah I was really enjoying it I think it just it, it, obviously it's kind of the worst time because obviously this year I had to focus it's been a bit more sat back and I'm obviously I'm still signing demos for them and putting them in the right hands uh, obviously still in press and stuff but it's not, it's not, you know, the gig situation has been a nightmare for everyone. So it hasn't, hasn't been able to, to, to show in its full life. But, but yeah, I think it's, there's, there's big differences, but I think it, it, if you've got a PR background, I think it's going to, it's going to help you massively to, to manage it. Do you but think that... Yeah, with three or four different people. It's a bit like you said, um, Kyle, about, about signing stuff to the label. It's, you like it because when you know that you're going to, you know, it's trusted because you're pushing your own beliefs and mm-hmm. you it it's a bit like that. Like now I don't have to, if I'm, if I'm doing someone, I know that their PR is going to be on point because I'm doing it. They know I've got the right book because I'm doing with these same people. All the time. Yeah. I think it helps. You, yeah, lot, and this, I guess, will be my last question for you. It's kind of piggybacking off. Is there a right time or a wrong time for someone to get a manager? Do you think it's more beneficial for someone to kind of figure out the waters himself, or do you think it's better to be guided off, off the bat? Uh, I think it, yeah, it definitely depends on the person. I think some people just, you know, some people are, are quite organized and structured anyway. And they, pro- and they might have certain contacts that they can probably set them up. I think it does help having it that just somebody just that can obviously t- take your mind off that and you can focus on all, just making the music. You don't have to think about the press side or you know, trying to sign these demos. You just literally make the tunes 
send them to your manager and then he can do the rest. The same with obviously gigs and stuff. You don't want to be, you know, if you don't have a booking manager how, and you're trying to sort stuff itself, it's insane. Or even having to have that conversation constantly with your booker. Better for the management to do it and you could just literally focus on everything. So obviously it, it depends on the person. Some people want to do everything themselves. Like they actually do. You can't, you can't stop them. So, um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend it. And not, not just because I'm a manager, but I would definitely recommend it. So I just think it, it just means you can focus on what's most important, like some, the gigs and the tunes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Fair, very fair. Very fair. It's actually crazy how much uh, a PR, <laughs> understanding PR, and, and like obviously I run a, a sort of smaller PR company that focuses mainly on Spotify, but the amount that that has helped in promoting um, Ken Kelly slash Delacour uh, like his main his main profile was like Deep House, you know, and that one after we got after we started our PR company, it like kind of just skyrocketed because it just makes your life so much easier understanding that facet of the industry. Uh, PR is really important, you know. I mean, if you have great music and no one listens to it, then it's just gonna sit there forever, you know. It's kind of it's kind of sad. There's just so much music out there that at this point, if it's not being marketed properly, no one's going to listen, sadly. Yeah. Truth. I, I was going to say that. I think it's even more important now because there is so much music that people, and, and so many different places where you can find this music. But if, it's, but if, you, if you've got someone that's putting you, and not just putting you out there, but putting you in the right places that you, you, know, that you want to, for the people that want to listen to that music, I think that's hugely important. And it's how Do the you guys want to hear a crazy, a crazy stat? A crazy what? Yeah, so... A crazy statistic. There's 24,000 24, songs distributed to Spotify, Apple, and Google Music every single day. <laughs> 24,000. Half of it is the same sounding That's... minimal tech house. I thought you were going to say half of it's junk code. <laughs> <laughs> it's, junk code. <laughs> it's all yeah, Toman and, and Chris Stussy clones. <laughs> every... It's literally what it is, yeah. <laughs> um yeah i guess we're kind of out of timer so what we'll do is we'll just i guess we'll do an outro here and we'll go into the who do you want to show off next uh i did literally on one second in fact i'm gonna as, as i was just talking about it i'll, I'll play the um uh, i'll send you the, the uh, zaza one awesome cool pete thank you so much for uh, your time and, and your insight i think this is a super beneficial stuff for for uh newer producers as well as established ones who might be thinking about getting into promo if anyone's interested in using uh, Pete and Jukebox, you can uh, reach out to me or Camino or directly to Pete as well. Uh, Pete, where can everyone find you on like socials? Uh, what, 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 in terms of what, my email? Yeah, I yeah, what's your email? I can drop the email into the thing if you want to put it out there or, or it's just Pete at jukeboxpr.co.uk. It's Pete at jukeboxpr. Dot co. UK, yeah. UK. Okay. Cool. Awesome, Pete. So I guess we'll outro here with the song. Thanks for your time, Pete. for tuning in guys that was the mechanisms remix of consistency by zaza thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode